0: What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions, and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Elaine Sulkin. Elaine is the publisher and editor in chief of Parent Map, a Seattle media company that provides daily digital access to essential parenting information, along with a monthly news magazine targeted annual periodicals, and a highly regarded lecture series. Elaine currently serves on the executive committees of the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem, Brothers for Life, and Stand With Us boards. She is actively involved in amplifying other Jewish organizations in Seattle and beyond, such as One Table, UW Hillel, and JNF Alexander-Muss High School in Israel. Elaine and her husband, Robert Sulkin, have three adult children, Arielle, Ellie, and Maya, and two grandchildren, Levi and Stella. Welcome, Elaine. So good to see you. So good to see you, Shauna. This is so fun. I've been really excited about this. Okay, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire. Great. Okay, beach or lake? Beach. Yeah, I feel like you're, you've told me about some of your favorite beaches, and I'm like, she's a beach girl.
1: Well, when you say lake, beach, it's like, okay, our beach is one of the biggest. Lake Michigan. Yeah. So that is a giant lake with the most gorgeous beach. Oh, okay. So you're swimming um, in the lake. You're swimming beach, in the yeah. lake, but it's
0: ocean-like. So it's, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, love got, it. it's everything. I need to go. So favorite concert that you've ever attended? Ooh,
1: wow. Having just seen Lady Gaga in Vegas? No, that wouldn't Wait, be it. recently? Yes.
0: Last month. <sighs> oh, I'm so jealous.
1: That's not it though. I would say... um Simon and Garfunkel, which is just kind of aging me, dating me, but so spectacular, really spectacular.
0: Who doesn't love Simon and Garfunkel?
1: I want to see Adele so bad. Let me tell you that I have tickets to see her in (gasps) London. This is recovery from having gone with my husband a few years ago and my son, who is such an Adele fan, asking me, why didn't you take me?
0: (laughs) I love it. Um, what is something that I and our listeners would be most surprised to learn about you?
1: Well, that I have a freaky identical twin that is just, you know, you run into her, you start talking to her and you're like, why is Elaine being
0: so off-putting and rude? It's because we don't know who you are. That's so funny. I can tell the difference between you guys because I know you, exactly. but I can see if I ran into her without you there that I would have that it would be like jarring a little bit. So what's the best thing that you have read, listened to or watched? Oh, in the man. I guess in the past couple of years people are binging all sorts of things. Let's see.
1: Reading I would have to say our mutual friend, Barry Weiss's book, How to Fight Anti Semitism," So good. Simple, clear, you know, stand up messaging. And uh, you know what? I'll, I'll give you a watching, which also will date me. I think I was the last person on earth to watch. Um, oh my
0: God. I'm blanking. I have, a, I have a Thrones, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. No, that's it. Is it? Oh my God, no, so, what? No. I'm so proud of myself. I'm like telepathic. This is telepathic. crazy. So, you know, of course- I, I didn't ever watch it either. And I've been like, is something wrong with me? I'm the okay. only human so, watched hello, it. Okay,
1: so hello, our mutual- I, Okay, so my son, you know, all these people who love Game of Thrones. I had to go to a reliable, great source that I would respect that would be within my mind space to get a recommendation. So I called our mutual friend, Don Gold. And I just put it to her and I said, Game of Thrones, yes or no? And she said, absolutely. And she
0: was, okay, I'm in.
1: A thousand percent right. I would watch it again. Outstanding.
0: Who's a person that you most want to meet? You've met a lot of amazing people, but who would you most love to spend time with?
1: I definitely consider myself a lifelong learner. I'm blown away by the people that I get to meet in the parent map space. And, you know, but one of the one of the I, I will say this not as a buzzword I say it in, in 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 great seriousness a word that keeps crossing my desk my head and my heart in a lot of ways right now is the word trauma and I think there is I think it's maybe a result of all the you know look at what look at what the each individual, families, the universe, what has been suffered, you know, from the crazy last couple of years. And so there are some scholars on trauma, a, a guy named Thomas Hubble, in particular, his name has been mentioned, that I'm, I know I will meet him and I know I will learn from him, but he's, he's kind of the name on my mind right now.
0: Interesting. It is, it is all about like when you're asked these questions, because it's not like the one and only, I mean, of course I would love to meet like Oprah or spend time with some sort of ancestor, you know, but yeah, it's a lot of, it's like what's happening right in front of us in this exact moment. So what are three words that your team would use to describe you as a leader?
1: (laughs) Passionate. Mm -hmm. um, Strategic. And heartfelt comes to mind I guess that's similar
0: to passionate um, yeah leading, leading with your heart I love yeah. that probably empathetic I'm guessing opportunistic yeah love it so tell me um, we've actually never had this conversation I know I mean obviously people can tell even from your accent where you grew up But tell, tell me about your childhood where you um, I guess got this passion I've never met your parents so who who are you like or maybe nobody
1: Absolutely both. You know, this is a this is a strange thing to say when you have an identical twin sister who is five minutes younger than you are. Yeah.
0: Five but, minutes. So you're the older one, for I, sure.
1: No, and you know, this is this is a little odd, but my mother actually called my sister her baby.
0: Oh geez.
1: And it's just the two of you? We have an older brother who's yeah, that's what a couple, I thought. I feel couple like years I older. But it, it actually, I mean, you know, when she said that, I, I, I didn't realize how odd that was. But then yeah, it I plays start, into the dynamics <laughs> it, for sure. It absolutely sure. plays into the dynamic that for better or for worse, I am a middle child. And I, in many ways, benefited from being the middle child, you know, as maybe more irreverent, maybe not being paid as much attention to, which can be a good thing. Um, But I grew up in Chicago. Sometimes people hear my accent and they are like, is that New York or Boston? Sometimes people are like, what street on the north side of Chicago did you actually grow up on? And I'm like, wow. Interesting.
0: (laughs) I've had a lot of Chicago people on the podcast and I can't hear their accent the way I can yours. I love that you've held on to it. It's great, because you've been in Seattle. How long have you been in Seattle?
1: 30, let's see, about almost 40 years. That's unbelievable to say, which it's like, when you say, I'm glad you (laughs) held on to it, there was a long time where I wish I could do, I could do anything to lose my accent. It's probably why I am completely incapable of playing music, singing a tune, or learning a language, my theory is that I am, I just don't hear the musicality of language to be able to move away from my Chicago accent.
0: Yeah, what does it mean to you to be like Midwestern from Chicago? Like, how does that shape your identity? And how does, um, like, what things are you hoping to kind of hold on to from that?
1: Uh, I I, I think it's very core to who I am, you know, the West, you're, you know, you're born and raised in the West, the West feels so young. And in a sense of, you know, for instance, we have a summer house in Michigan that we go to, and it's just an hour, a little bit over an hour outside of downtown Chicago. My grandchildren are sixth generation on that street. And when oh, you that, say that, I have
0: chills. Right, I mean, that's when amazing. you say that
1: people are like, what so you know what that means I my my great-grandfather built these cottages my my father's parents and grandparents lived Mm -hmm. in you know small tenement apartments in Chicago and the community bought you know built these little tiny cottages right on the shores of Lake Michigan in the 30s
0: Wow, and my father started incredible.
1: going there. My father started going there when he was three years old. My
0: mother, when she started dating my father at 14 years old. Oh, that is, these are like amazing stories. And yeah. what age did you get a sense of your Jewishness, your Jewish identity? Cause I know in the intro, um, you know, reading all of the things that you're involved in, I'm always curious how, like I'm meeting you who you are today, but yeah. what, what were you like when you were in like fifth grade?
1: You know, I feel like I I, when I look back on it, I feel like I I had no identity, although, of course, I was steeped in identity. And one, growing up, you know, if the town that I grew up in, Skokie, Illinois, is, you know, kind of famous for anything, it was the place that Nazis decided to march in the late 70s because that's where the largest population of Holocaust survivors were in the United States.
0: Oh, that's and, no surprise that this is a part of you. I yeah. get it now. And
1: I I was, I remember being there and with my mom. And so, but I, I didn't, I didn't identify. It was just kind of who
0: is in the air
1: who, in, in the air. And it wasn't until, um, you know, my mom taught Sunday school. That was our community, but I, you know, I went to college. I never stepped into anything Jewish. I didn't engage. That wasn't my friend group. So it wasn't until my husband and I were, uh, lawyers in Chicago. This is, you know, career number one ish. Mm-hmm. Did you and meet I, him in law school? I met him in undergrad at the university of Wisconsin in Madison. And oh, then he you guys went been off, together that yeah, long. We have. Oh my God. I 40 years this coming summer. It's insane to be able to say, but um, I dated his roommate in college and his roommate, we broke up and he left University of Wisconsin. He said, you know, just, I don't really care who you date as if, I don't really care who you date just don't date Bobby Sulkin and I was like oh yeah
0: well Bobby's the triple threat
1: love that idea thank you Oh yeah,
0: you're like what a great idea thanks so much that's so funny and do you remember like when you I feel like we didn't actually finish the thought you were I just asked you something and now
1: yeah no so it it was you know Bobby and I were living in Evanston Illinois which is a great small city north of the city you know north of Chicago on the on Lake Michigan and we were lawyers and Bobby was at a very stuffed shirt type of firm. I think they actually asked him to tuck his shirt in one too many times. And he was like, I'm <sighs> out of here. What can we do? And I said, you know, we could move to Israel, live out of kibbutz and have no bills. I think it was the no bills that got him because neither one of us had really any affinity. And that that was really like our own, Journey together as a young couple. And it really wasn't anything intentional. It was, let's get the hell out of Chicago. It was 20 degrees below zero. We were standing underneath the L tracks. And it was like, let's just go on this journey. And wait, did you do it? Oh, yeah. No, we quit our jobs. Yes, we quit our jobs. We went and lived on kibbutz Ogid And you know, Bobby wasn't Bar mitzvah. He had beer, his father was like a, a Buddhist. You know, Jewish but Buddhist. A yeah. Yes, and he had. I mean, it really like was. It really was this amazing journey that we went on together that has stuck with us in many, many different iterations over the last forty years. That besides, you know, falling in love, we have this 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 kind of golden thread bond that we didn't necessarily anticipate. That is is a fabulous journey to be on together.
0: That is incredible. And so you guys were both practicing law. I guess you had passed the bar. Um, And so what did that mean for your careers to kind of push pause? You know, we were so young and we
1: had no, we didn't have kids. I do not actually
0: give, we didn't actually give a shit. We were just like, yeah. You know,
1: and I mean, I think, you know, when you think about like your partner, you know, there's so many things like, you know, we were talking about our mutual friend, Richard, who, you know, we have, you have you the the orientation that you have. You know, some people like Bobby and I. I think one thing, no matter how little money we ever had, neither one of us ever wrote down a check in a check register or balanced our checking accounts. Now, if you were married to somebody like that and you were completely uh, rigid about that, it would be a cause for a lot of tension you know, we were just very like-minded in a lot of ways and like-minded about our careers. Like, you know,
0: we can walk away from
1: this, figure it out, went on this incredible journey where we were with, you know, we we both kind of grew up in such, you know, uh, like- small environments in the suburbs of Chicago.
0: Right. And your world's just opened up and our worlds just opened up.
1: I mean we were with you know people from Argentina and Cartagena. And I mean it was just incredible. So that I'm
0: so envious. Like I would give anything for that type of life experience. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe we'll do that like 2.0 or 3.0. But I just love that. I can't believe I didn't know that story. And so did you have a sense of um Kind of like I think I have it in me, or I think I will at some point be an entrepreneur. No, I because you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you started Uh, this company 30 years ago. Yes, that we'll we'll get into. But um, I mean, do do you have any entrepreneurs in your family? I do. I do. My
1: two grandmothers. (laughs) You know, my 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 two grandmothers. I my 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 grandmother on my maternal side. Her. Um, her husband died when she had six kids, ages four to 14. And when I tell you that my mother and her siblings make me look like I am shy without personality, this woman who was a Polish immigrant, the only way she could survive because she kept getting kicked out of her the apartments that they were living in in Chicago was to finally, they owned a luggage business was to buy an apartment building so that she could did not have to move these six kids as a widow one more time. And that why really, was she getting kicked out? Because they were six hellions. I mean, oh. these are the I mean the loudest, craziest. I mean my aunts and uncles oh. have more personality in their pinkies than any humans I know. And so she couldn't manage, she couldn't manage moving anymore. Oh, she had to figure out how to buy the building so she wouldn't get kicked out.
0: So she's an entrepreneur. What about on your paternal and the, side? And
1: my grandmother, she owned a clothing store in Chicago called Williams. That's my maiden name, Williams Department Store. So both were entrepreneurs. I love it. And, and you know, I mean, I, I left being a lawyer when I was pregnant with my first daughter, who's now 34, 35 years old. And it didn't. You know, I mean, I became a lawyer because it sounded great, you know, when yeah, I That's so what we do. Yeah. It's what we do and I mean, I wasn't I had I didn't have intention around it. And mm-hmm. I remember I was actually spending my junior year a lot of people went to different places. I went to Denmark for a semester. And I wrote my parents and I said, "You know, I think I'll go to law school. My boyfriend, Bobby, was going to law school." And it was met with such positivity, like the best thing I ever could tell Super them. Super validating. I was like, okay. Yeah. And I have to say, I loved, loved law school. I found it fascinating. Right. I did but not... didn't
0: love practicing. No. What kind of law were you practicing at the time?
1: So I was working at a small firm in Pioneer Square at the time. It was called Seligman Dryling. in
0: Seattle in Seattle yeah but how did you up in Seattle no so so moved to
1: to Seattle sorry we were living on a kibbutz in Israel after about six months of that we went back to Chicago and the game plan was my my twin sister was in graduate school at the University of Washington and Ah. the game plan was we would just come out and visit her and we never left
0: you fell in love
1: fell in love and I was going to practice law Bobby was not that lasted for kind of a nanosecond thank goodness
0: interesting Interesting. and yeah long before meeting you guys and becoming friends I heard about you of course from parent map and I actually saw you once I don't know if I introduced myself or if you remember this but I saw you in the lobby of Zulily do you remember this yes yes but I kind of knew who you were. You kind of knew who I was. And you were doing business, I think, with Zulily. And right. I remember hearing about Bobby as like the number one lawyer, like in the country. Like everybody's <laughs> like, this guy has never lost a trial ever. And he's so chill. I would love to be a fly on the wall and watch the Cliage He will never take on. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately, yeah. Yeah. And so where did you get this idea for parent map? Was there, I mean, obviously it's the coolest um, publication magazine, digital. Thank you. uh, It's so much content. That's incredible.
1: Thank you. So, so originally, I mean, I left law, I had Ari and I, you know, it's kind of antithetical to owning a parenting media company, but I had to get the hell out of the house and do something. You know, I just was feeling like I did not want to go back into law and I literally took a job. Honestly, I think at the time it was for under $10 an hour, answering the telephones in the third floor of the then publication Seattle's Child, answering phones uh, just to get out of the house and that was the beginning of a completely unpredictable career in parent and publishing. So I mean, the, the short story of that is I came in with no intention of doing anything other than just
0: getting some adult engagement. And um, that's how that's almost like, haha, for those who know you, <laughs> like, right, you don't right, do anything. It's right, like, go big right, or go home. Right, Elaine style. right.
1: But, but I, you know, I mean, I think one of the things and this is just from a you know, really from a business happiness perspective is, it sounded so good, good, you know, to say that I was a lawyer, and it didn't fill me up in any way. And so I had to be willing to shut a door, literally shut a door with complete, you know, lack of knowledge of what I would possibly do. And taking something where, you know, if your ego, every one of us has it, you know, your ego is like, Oh, I'm a lawyer, that, you know that sounds that had some some meaning to it to i am going to take a job just to answer phones in a you know small media business and that's okay and what mm-hmm. happened you know fast forward you know i loved it like i just i you know i engaged with the person who was the owner we became partners we You know, my instinct, you know, and maybe this comes from my grandmothers, was if there was one publication, why couldn't there be six? If we could publish, publish, why couldn't we publish books? If there are great people that are writing these books, why couldn't they be speakers? Why couldn't we have a a lecture series? So it was just very, you know, exciting and intuitive to me to kind of define then a print media business by whatever way parents can receive quality content in research, we can deliver it to them.
0: Yeah. Well, when I first moved here that I depended on it, I mean, of course the kids are now older and I depend on it in a different way, but I depended on it for my schedule, like what to do with the kids. I would look up all the camps. I would kind of sit there and lay out my whole summer using parent map. And then, of course, attend the lectures. Um, and so how has the business changed over those 30 years? What is it today versus what it was when you were kind of like answering phones? Yeah, um, you know- well, it's no longer, it's not a different name and-
1: Yeah, I know, I mean, Parent Map, I would say, substantively, really not different. And in this sense of parenting is as old as man, womankind. And, parents, you know, as has been said for forever, you know, it's the single most important job that you'll ever have that you have zero training for. And, you know, that is an overwhelming thought. And with all the good intentions, you know, what you bring to the table as a parent, given what you were given or what you reject from what you were given or what you are willing to learn is is so vast. and. So so what I would say has changed dramatically is like a lot of people who, who are founders of businesses, they run on a lot of chaos and enthusiasm. And one of the most important gifts that I was given was the ability at some point to self-reflect and how much damage I was causing around my team because of my you know, like endless, let's do this, let's do that, you know, enthusiasm to keep
0: moving forward. Like the goal, the goalpost kept moving and the goal.
1: Yes. And I I mean, I I haven't really analyzed where that comes from, but realizing the burnout factor and that, you know, and, and we have a very, like I always say about our, my business, you know, we're very democratic until it comes to selecting the cover image for the magazine. Like You know, it's, I I feel so strongly about that. But what I realized was we, we had such great products and that we did not have the business infrastructure Mm -hmm. requisite to optimize, like shame on us that we weren't profitable Mm -hmm. and we had a good product. So I will never, what is the
0: business model? Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, the business model is based really on advertising and sponsorship. I mean, our range of clients from, you know, the Gates Foundation to the smallest violin teacher is is pretty vast. And, um, you know, two people who, you know, I walked in one day to our mutual friend, Dan Levitan's office and showed him my financials because I was like, I got, I've got to, Like, I've got to shift. Like, this is causing so much stress for for me and people around us within the business. And he looked at my financials and he said, so, Elaine, this is a Mm -hmm. hobby. And I was like, you know what? It felt a little bit like the slap I needed, truly. Mm -hmm. Like, I I really Mm -hmm. paused and I thought, why wouldn't someone say that? And right. then, and then I went from that meeting to a meeting with another friend, Robbie Cape, and he looked at me and he said, "You know, do you think you have the right team?" And I, I was like, "Not exactly." And he said, "Do you have a plan, you know, that you stick to?" And I was like, "Not a, not exactly." <laughs> and then he said, Who are you, are you accountable to anyone for what you do?" And I said not exactly. And it was those two messages in tandem, like I had to hear it once. Mm. And I realized that I had to build a team around me that, you know, I, I, we ended up hiring a woman who came in for a job as an accounting assistant. I never met her until, you know, she had been working for us for a couple months. It turned out looking at her resume, she had been the head of international compensation for Starbucks the prototype of a parent map employee traveling all over the world, two little boys and couldn't balance work and her family life. And so she sought out parent map, got this job as an accounting assistant. I looked at her resume and I'm like, I just know there's more (laughs) that you could do with us.
0: Uh, Yeah. She,
1: she literally now is our business manager. I have brought the systems that she has brought to us to so many organizations, ones that you're, that, you know, like uh, brothers for life. of You know, stated business goal, you know, it's the ABCs of running a business. I just didn't have them.
0: Interesting. So what is the prototype? Uh, if, If there are people who are listening, who are looking for a job, what is the prototype of a kind of ideal parent map? Employee and what do you guys do to differentiate yourselves in this kind of like war on talent moment that we're in?
1: Um, well, it's got. I would say it's gotten a lot harder because we have always been a virtual business, so that that was. That's a, been a. That's a yeah. That's, that's a differentiator. Yeah, and that that's, always yeah. was a differentiator, and it it isn't so much anymore. But I think I think one, if we are we are absolutely a mission driven business that. Lives and walks
0: our values. So, you know, mm-hmm. there is. I have, actually have your values here, Elaine. This is brand values, be I the community it. for the community, be authentic, focus on the future, educate ourselves and others. I love that.
1: Well, and, you know, I think one of the things that so many people come out of a corporate setting, and, you know, when you're interviewing someone and they ask you if you have a handbook, I'm like, we we have a 28 page fabulous handbook of policies. And trust me, if we need to pull it out, it's probably time for you to go, which really defines the infrastructure of our business, which is mm-hmm. if you, you were- need scrappy,
0: adults, self-motivated. Exactly.
1: And you know, and people that don't, I mean, not that you shouldn't be have a manager, but you yeah. know, look at look at the moms and i'm saying moms because it just so happens we barely have male employees they're usually in in our in the tech space right now we're mm-hmm. 100% female but you know but women traditionally i want you as an employee to be able to drop off your kid pick up your kid and i really don't care when and how you work as long as the deliverables are there and mm-hmm. there is a level of trust that is created and it's not for everyone because it's just not for everyone
0: but it's how i run my business also and it's i know i feel it's good because i feel like i'm creating a company i would want to work at as a working mom exactly and you're doing the same thing and it's about values like you're just your identity is so much um a mother a grandmother but also an executive and you, you can't really be both if you feel like you have to kind of fake that you're doing something, but you're really like dropping your kid off. Exactly. Like no, and it's the, like the, the, tension
1: of, the tension of that. Like I remember listening to a lawyer, a female lawyer being interviewed on NPR a couple of years ago. And she was saying how the structure of billable hours was so antithetical to her life as a mother. So, as the most intelligent, highly efficient, productive lawyer, it wasn't serving her or the firm in how that structure is built.
0: Right. Or the clients, probably. Or,
1: exactly. So, you yeah. know, this is like, you know what? If working from eight o'clock at night till 11 works for you because your kids go to bed and you get to hang with them in the afternoon that's fabulous.
0: Right. Right. So having this business for 30 years, I've been in recruiting for 27 and I joke, my team's like, don't say that. Say like 15, <laughs> whatever. I'm actually proud of it. I feel like yeah. you know, I'm coloring my hair, but like the gray hair is actually, I'm proud of that. Um, And things have changed. We didn't even have the internet when I started recruiting, and now we have access to so much data and so much information that we can learn through technology. What are you learning through data about your business? As far as like, what's what are people searching for the most on Parent Map, and what's the most successful part of the business, and where are you going with the business? Three kind of big questions. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, first of all, I, I always think we have the most extraordinary team. And I think, how can it possibly get better? And, you know, of course people come and go, you know, we have some very, very long-term employees and they're gifted in the analytics space that I just, I love learning because it's not a strength of mine, but, you know, seeing where people engage. And then there's so many surprises, like you said, Shauna, how, you know, You would sit and look at our, you know, summer camps issue and chart out every week of what your kids are doing. We define our content in these kind of two extreme spaces, and of course, there's a lot of overlap. You know, broccoli to popcorn, and a lot of the fun, a lot of what I like. I
0: like popcorn. I like broccoli
1: too. Well, a lot of the a lot of the analytics, you know, that would be our calendar, our out and about activities is the entry point for a lot of people because, you know, it's, it's, you know, on a cold, it's, it's, it's much tactical. more tactical. And, yeah. you know, like, like, look at, I, am I'm very mission driven about the business. We always have, we'll say on the broccoli side, you know, health development, we always have mission driven content, you know, around gun safety, anti-racism. And so, you know, there is, it's, there's a lot of surprises, and I'll I'll give you an example. This year, we kicked off our lecture series in September with um, two men. One, Khalil Jabran Mohammed, who is a professor at Harvard, well known for his work in the uh, DEI curriculum space, and he was interviewed by by Jeffrey Robinson, who has created a 400-year chronicle on racism called the Who We Are Project. It's about to be um, launched. A documentary is about to be launched, and it's gotten tremendous praise. Jeffrey is local in Seattle. And when when Jeffrey first came to us and we decided that we would do his three-hour presentation, I I begged him, can we please, is there a way to make this an hour? You're not going to get parents to show up. You would not He would not take a minute off of the presentation. And sure enough, we did it twice. We did it for, you know, what we'll call influencers in the (laughs) parenting media space, not um, is legislators, educators, leaders of private schools, heads of schools, you know, politicians, everyone, you know, is, is leaning in on the DEI space. And they sat for three hours twice, two different audiences. And so I would never have predicted that, in retrospect, that we would have audience. And then fast forward, Jeffrey then did this interview with um, Khalil Gibran Muhammad. We partnered with five other media companies in the country, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans. And he had thousands of of people engaged nationwide which is, you know, in a parenting space, it's not, you know, it's not about resilience or tenacity or, you know, kind of core parenting issues, but it shows the thirst for this kind of
0: information, which,
1: you know, I'm super proud yeah. that, that we lean in on.
0: Yeah, and how have you seen the subject of mental health get um, more, I guess, recognition and need? i just look back. I mean, I've got three teenagers now. And the stuff that they're bringing to the house and talking about is so different than what I was thinking about. Although maybe it was just because it wasn't talked about, but it just seems so much more prevalent. And now more than ever with COVID, like what are the themes that you're seeing in mental health? It's kind of the perfect
1: storm equation. So, you know, everybody has lived through this. And thankfully, you know, kids are mostly back in school, but over the last year and a half, I mean, you know, the God forbid level of suicide, isolation. And, you know, look, you think about the fact that kids, big, middle, high school, kids having this screen and no authority figure, there's not a counselor, a teacher who's witnessing what's going on in your student, your child, your student's world. So that that level of isolation isn't identified or bullying. And so, you know, a tremendous, you know, a tremendous elevation in in those challenges for mental health and oh, kids. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, look, I I mean, we're not going to get political, but the fact that the places that could be open, you know, whether it was pot shops or
0: bowling alleys
1: before schools was just, you know, I mean, it's, it's so, it's maddening, you know? It's so so
0: maddening. Yeah. I don't, I almost don't even think that's, well, maybe it is political. I just feel like as a mother, I don't know one mother or one child that didn't want to go back to school.
1: Right. And, you know, I mean, I think about my staff who Mm -hmm. has, you know, every single person with, you know, two, three, four, three, you know, one person who has three little boys, very close in age range, young, Mm -hmm. you know, who's like, Mm -hmm there's simply not enough wine on planet earth to get me through
0: this you know right oh yeah totally so tell me about the um the business as far as the readership I know that you offer a monthly magazine subscription um what are some of the other ways that people engage in content you're not doing are you doing in person not in person changing right now we're not just all
1: no, everything's virtual. And, you know, I mean, our lecture series is fantastic because I just love seeing, you know. Oh, it's incredible. The well, I used is... to go
0: to them in person. Yeah. No, and I mean, just... digital people are a little bit, um, uh, I, I what's the word like over it? Zoom... Lethargic <laughs> well, well, zoom fatigue. I, mean, like honestly... just, oh, I get invited to so many things and I, I, as much as the content's incredible, I'm like, I can't do it.
1: You know, so how I... are you,
0: how are you getting people to engage?
1: Honestly, I, you know, I should be like, yes, we saw, you know, that this was going to be this way. We are literally in awe of the numbers we're getting this year. They're better. And I I think there's two reasons, you know, one, it's really audacious content that is, is called is obviously calling people. Mm -hmm. One, you know, we had John Gottman who, you know, every year people are like, okay, you're really, you know, our team internally would, when we sit and brainstorm about who we're going to have speak and people are like, you know, you know, again, you're going to have John Gottman. And I'm well, like, he's
0: incredible.
1: And I'm like, okay, you can sit around the table and ask parents, what do they want to talk about? ADHD, you know, different development things, tenacity, whatever. Okay. Relationships get the universal nod. And so you know, we just had him and it was remarkable. Like, you know, that, that, that content draw is, is, is insane. I think the other thing is how our team managed to get ahead of this so that in May, we actually had the entire series built out from September through June of 22. So that anybody who was getting on could click and get the entire lecture series and sign up for it like we all do i mean it's it's aspirational not everybody shows up but yeah one click everybody could sign up for every every talk so you yeah. know we again you know as i said to you at the beginning love to get into podcasts because every you way you got to get into podcasts yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, it's because- a, it's a lot of work but it's really fun and um i think you would obviously crush it but i'm curious like day to day how are you spending your time Like, what's your job? Everybody's got like a title, but what do you do when you're working?
1: Okay. So I would say a main focus is working with our management team is called the steering team. And, you know, right now we're in the absolute throes of goal setting and performance reviews. And I mean, I will say at 63 years old, I have made myself less relevant to the day to day while staying very highly attached to Our mission, performance, goal setting. And, you know, I think it number one puts me in the right place and it helps elevate an extraordinary leadership team to drive the business. So, I mean, my day to day is keeping true to that mission by helping, you know, I work very hard at selecting the speakers for the year and, and being the voice, interviewing the speakers, um, yeah, you know, I stay very close to the financial management of the business and work very closely with the sales team. So you know, I'm, you know, you're I, in
0: your exact perfect lane. I mean, I think so at this yeah, point. that is that is what you should be doing. And so when you're not um, when you're not working, I know you you're on so many boards and you're so involved and so engaged, How do you prioritize your time as far as figuring out, what to say yes to? Because I know it's really impossible to say no to you, but who's put, who's tapping on your shoulder and how do you decide where to put your time?
1: You know, I, 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 you know, I've had such long experience, you know, from boards of schools where like the day-to-day is really like, it's really like being in a business to finding the, the board positions that are super high functioning organizations that just speak to my values and the things that are, I'm really, I care deeply about. And usually that always means impacting, you know, the next or the next generation. So, you know, I, I have those, I have figured out my sweet spot in that space so that, you know, one of my dear friends, you know, the founder of Listening Mothers and Community of Mindful Parenting, Yafa Moritz, you know, she was like, you know, I, I used to, especially when events were live, you know, the number of events that you would go to, whether it was in the Jewish world or it was in the parenting world, were literally like in the hundreds. And it's like, and it's like, and you really have to think like, this is one of the, this is one of the blessings, you know, one of the finding the silver linings of, of, you know, the pandemic, which is, we're all of us found a life in balance differently, and like many things, many people suffered, but like organizationally, many things thrived with so much less rigor or wasted yeah. effort to make things totally. happen. And that's totally. that's like a beautiful thing, you know, from our environment to our own yes. health and well being.
0: I completely agree. Um, So my ultimate question for you, I have so many more, but I want to be mindful of your time and I'm so grateful for it, um, is what fuels you? And then before you answer that, I just have to say, you as a leader, you as a mother, and as a friend, you, I think I've told you this before, but I'm just saying it publicly, like you are someone I really admire and you are, whether you know it or not, like slightly a mentor of mine and I'm just so, I wish that there were just more of you because um, I find you incredibly inspiring. So well, I'm glad that you were on the podcast.
1: I physically have goosebumps from head to toe <laughs> because, you know, back at you, you know, I really, oh, no, great. I mean, I, I, I think really what fuels me is I know that, you know, it's just so authentic. You can't make this up. It's like when you're passionate about things and you feel the contagious energy, you know, whether you're just sitting, you know, I just came from a board meeting for four days in Florida where, you know, I, I love that you can sit still and actually not move for four days and go on the most magnificent journey of your lifetime. And so, you know, I, I think like how lucky to have found that professionally and in my, you know volunteer life. So I I think that if you just can if you're lucky enough, not everyone can, but if you find that passion, the things that move you and, you know, the calling, I I literally fell into being in the parenting media space. And I think, you know, for myself, like I had tremendous parents and I also had a lot a lot to learn and I promise you, you know, I just spent a couple of days with my daughters in New York. I learned a lot. And a lot of it is like me having an open, trying to not be defensive and hearing your kids' voices to hear the ear of your ways. And I definitely have gotten better at it with age, but you know, it's our lifelong journey of learning, which is just a gift.
0: Thank you for listening to the what fuels you podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review